the Cybersecurity Podcast. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Hackwork. And it's a pleasure to do this show again with my fantastic co-host from Washington, D.C., Tyler Cohenwood. Hi, Tyler. Hi, Mirko. Hey, and today we have a special guest in the show. It's Philip. Hello, Mirko. Hello, Tyler. And Hello, Philip. Philip. You are in Nantes. Yes, yes. Brittany West Shore in France. Philip, we want to talk with you about botnets. Yes, it's it's a vast topic. And I think we're going to splash about the whole cyber criminal industry. I cannot wait to talk about all of those things. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> so first of all, for the understanding out there, for the people who have no clue what is a botnet, <laughs> we should explain what is a botnet. So what is the structure of a botnet? Yeah, sure. So basically what's happening is like when uh, the cyber criminals are capturing some machines, say servers or eventually machines in the land uh, of a company uh, or eventually IoT devices, or it could be routers, it could be I don't know, connected wayscale, whatever you have, that they can seize control in mass, right? Then they would potentially use them uh, as a global network to achieve some tasks. Most of times, not always, but most of times, those botnets are made to uh, uh, create DDoS attacks, right, to stun uh, a target. So for a while, this target won't be able to reply to any query because basically uh, uh, the tunnel, the, the, the piping is uh, totally filled. Yeah, so the idea, for example, I know the major botnet I know and, and remember is the Mirai botnet. And Dyne DNS used it. It was 2016. Yeah. And it was a shake in the industry, in the cybersecurity industry, because some people maybe had an idea that you can use IoT devices, but the people behind Mirai, they just simply did it. (laughs) And I know as well from the stories, uh, this had been two guys um, working in the cybersecurity industry. They were preventing Minecraft servers from DDoS attacks. And they just changed the site. So they said, well, <laughs> why preventing companies from DDoS? We can create a super DDoS botnet by using cheap IP cameras. Yeah, and we don't actually realize how much our digital life relies on uh, an ac- accurate, efficient, reliable infrastructure. We take it for granted, but all those protocols we are using under underneath are dating back from the 70s, actually a bit earlier than that. And back in time, the people, the the genius engineers that created this never ever thought we would reach such a magnitude, such a scale, you know? So there is no integrated like uh, mechanism to, to, to tamper or to deal with this. So they found really a weak spot. I don't know what's your opinion, Tyler, on that, but. uh... I I mean, I think it's, the, the internet was not, like you said, to your point, it was not really created with scalability and security in mind. And, you know, we're, we're, we're using an infrastructure and it seems as if we're putting a lot of band-aids on um, the problem, but we're not really fixing the problem. And we just keep putting more and more and more band-aids. And 
you know, what happened in 2016, where um, with the, the Dyn DNS, with the IoT devices using the, the Mirai, I, I don't even know if I pronounce that right. I call it Mirai. Mirai, Mirai, whatever. It was, it was insane. It was, it was such a turning point, I think, for, for cybersecurity. And I remember in 2000, was it 2000, where one of the, the, the a huge uh, DDoS, distributed denial of service attack, hit like Best Buy, um, all of these big companies that were, they, they were huge, and a lot of them don't exist anymore, but it was a huge deal. And I just think about how, how crazy and out of control things have sort of gotten compared to then. Yeah. And I think another funny story on this Mirai stuff was, um, first of all, I think the game changer was usually, I mean, botnets have been there as a concept before. So they were usually built by taking over servers, for example. Um, what was so genius was to see, look, there are millions of IoT devices deployed yeah. where the access credentials could be easily brute forced. Um, and they only, they focused on IP cameras and they had a look on the factory settings and the documentation of the IP cameras, which was available often in the internet in the IP camera documentation and support documents. And then they were just brute forcing. I mean, they were scanning the net. This is the IP camera, just brute forcing, I think 63 password combinations like admin, admin, <laughs> admin123, and so on. And uh, by that, they got root access on the IP camera. And usually it's a Linux running on this stuff. And they could uh, patch this Linux system towards uh, taking over full control of this uh, IP cameras and include them to their botnet. And the fun fact is when they did it, I mean, they made a concept. They started scanning and taking over the IP cameras. And there was, I mean, these people had been catched. There was a trial and they said, well, they were overwhelmed when they were seeing that they had more than 100,000 cameras on the first day That's included crazy. to their botnet. It looks like a student prank, honestly, because yeah. it's not harder than that. Actually, it, it's, it's accessible to any uh, first-year engineering school uh, people. You know, it, it's really easy to pull. And here, they just did brute force, meaning like the lowest ever possible yeah. complexity of attack. You know, we have seen so much more complicated attacks. But this one is really at the very bottom of the lake. And, and the point is, when you look at those Chinese-made uh, firmware, they are basically a patchwork of plenty of different open source components that don't want to pay. They stitch them together, whatever the version, they don't care. They compile it you know, quickly and put it on the market as soon as they can and say basically protect it in the documentation. So if not brute force, at some point, someone will have found uh, vulnerability in the firmware, which is pretty easy to do actually because they are just yeah. crippled with vulnerability. And you can regenerate those networks again and again and again. The bottom line is don't expose your camera over the internet like this. Put it through a VPN, filter the access, do whatever you want, but don't put them raw over the internet. Those stuff are insecure by design. Yeah. So 
Yeah, not not all I, IoT or cameras. It's they're not like you said. They're not all created equally, and some of them, some of these devices have some pretty decent security, and they do manage the updates, and others, not at all. So coming back to the structure of a botnet, so we have Mirai was a blueprint, and even I think they have open sourced their their botnet as well on GitHub or something like that. So it was really a blueprint for people for building botnets, and we have. Now, many deployments, can I say, in the market, in the field, which is based upon Mirai blueprints and add-ons. And uh, is it a situation? Like, what is the current situation of botnets? Because this was 2016. I would think that it has progressed as well on, on other levels. Or I like to apply the reverse-seeking strategy here. You know, because if you if you need a weapon, it's to do something. And if you can identify that something and how much it's worth in the eyes of hackers or cyber criminals, then you will define how much money is going into this industry. So basically, when you knock down one company and blackmail them for a while, they will eventually migrate the sensitive service to something that is protected, you know, with like an anti-DDoS strategy and all. And, and eventually, you will not get that much money out of it. And I'm thinking, if we don't see those uh, DDoS attacks like spawning every other day, constantly everywhere, it's because there's not as much money to be made as in ransomware uh, field, for example. So yes, it's efficient. Yes, you can include it. But is there a lot of money uh, for the one doing this and operating those? I guess not. I'm just asking the question. I, I really have no clue here. I'm thinking it's like you do somewhere. It's more well, 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 actually, actually, a denial of ser- a denial of service can kind of you could hold that for a company for ransom. It's ransom. So, yeah. I guess you could. I guess you could make money in it. I think originally, it's uh, for for Mirai. It was targeting, um, of course, uh, as well Minecraft servers. So, and then it's ransom because it's just simple. Um, if the service is not available, the gamers will change the servers. You have less income, stuff like that. I've seen a, another example of botnets, which is as well fascinating for everybody who is out there in the social media space and wants to become a social media influencer. There is a botnet industry providing fake profiles for social media accounts. So if you go and buy them for money, the accounts who are then operating and generating your followers in social media are are bots, okay, number one, but they are coming from a botnet. So it's, for example, an IP camera, which is your follower. Or your fridge. It's pretty funny. Or your fridge. Or, yeah, exactly. But the question... But the point is there's a market because people are buying this kind of fake followers are and they to be honest yeah, look at instagram what kind of pe- i mean i think instagram is the biggest market for fake followers ever, ever and then maybe twitter you have it sometimes on twitter but there is a big market for that and people are spending let's say a hundred euros for buying let's say ten thousand fake followers yeah i'm sorry but if you are a makeup influencer the only thing you deserve is to be followed by fridge and cameras <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry yeah, but it's like when people are buying buying that kind of followers for a hundred dollars, for example, they are feeding the industry. They're feeding the bot botnet industry. Yeah. 
there's an there's an income revenue stream. But, but it, it would be it, it would be so easy to determine if someone had a bunch of fake followers because you have to look at who these followers are. Do they do they follow other people? Do other people follow them? Yeah, they follow them. They actually <laughs> post things. And I'm sorry, but you know there is a natural progression of how you build a following, and you don't suddenly have twenty five thousand new followers in one day. You just don't. <laughs> Actually, not, something spectacular uh, happens, like you sell this cool like system that saves the whole world, you know, whatever. Then yeah. maybe, maybe. And if your follower, <laughs> if your follower tells you always that the milk is empty and that he should ask you to order new milk, you should be super aware that this is maybe a botnet in the fridge <laughs> because it's the fridge, yes. But the, the point is, like, definitely, the uh, if you look at internet, actually, most of the traffic over the internet is made machine to machines, right? It's eighty percent or seventy-six percent or something like this. So, many, most of what's exchanged nowadays over the internet is already machines talking to other machines. So, compromising them into talking more to each other just makes sense. It's just the next iteration. And if you think about it, like, it's it's just going to amplify. We're not going to interact with the internet constantly ourselves. You will have an AI serving you, you know, booking your next trip, your next uh, vacation somewhere. And this AI will be tricked into thinking that maybe Thailand is the best destination uh, by other boats and, on, and so on. Forth. We are just getting at the very beginning of it. And the automation of cameras like Mirai did is the first example of what's going to happen. But tomorrow... There are so many more devices than humans on Earth, yep. you know. So it's so important for the cyber criminal industry to, to seize control of these IoT devices. My worst nightmare, I tell you, is if someone finds a, a zero-day, uh, a root zero-day, remote root on something like iOS or Android, and the person that are patching and having a worm installed on, say, iOS, and you go then to JFK, right, and you spread this worm on the local Wi-Fi network. We saw how it happened with the COVID. As soon as it reached an airport, it's unstoppable worldwide. And then you would have a worldwide contamination of either Google devices or Android devices, iOS devices, whatever. And, you know, going on and on and on. And next thing you know, you have 700 millions or a billion or two billion devices reporting to one person that can push a button and, and cut out the global internet. I had always the idea that we have, Tyler, that we have the creepy ideas, but Philip, you... I, I know, I know. <laughs> Can I join your club? <laughs> yeah, you're in it. <laughs> you're in it, the, the club of creepy uh, hacking ideas and how to destroy the world uh, with new cyber weapons. Well, you yes. see, sorry, I just wanted to highlight, you see the, how it, it, this zero-click uh, compromission we had Yep. Uh, some months ago that was analyzed by Google experts, right? So right. I would send you a text message and there would be a vulnerability in the library decoding a specific type of files. And this library would exploit directly your iOS environment without you knowing nothing, yeah. right? And these kind of things, they exist already. They are at large in the cyber criminal industry already. So I'm just wondering why didn't, what, they didn't push the button yet. It's not about the fact that they cannot do it. It's about the fact that they make more money staying stealth and within a small zone, they're making a mass attack on a large scale. Exactly. And I think like for this, right. yeah. 
for this type of zero date exploit, what we have seen there on the iOS um, device and, and Android devices, um, this was super brilliant engineering, to be honest. It's like when we've seen that, I mean, this was not a work of a single person. This was a work of a super brilliant engineering group putting together different exploits and the way how to break then the sandbox models uh, in the system. So this was, I think from the skill level, this was definitely intelligence skill level. Yeah. And not criminal, usually criminal skill level. That was crazy. That was crazy good. I mean, just for the listeners, you have to know, guys, that actually what they did is they found a way to dump uh, by iteration their code on the stack through multiple injections, you know, recursive multiple injections. So they could build their own software or their own slice of code uh, uh, chunks by chunks. And and that is already as such absolutely uh, indescribably complicated. And patient. Uh, It takes a lot of patience, too. And attempts and trials and stuff it's it's crazy but once you have that you have a secret a silver bullet actually yeah, yeah. no no this was good so coming back to the botnets so we have said well let's say mirai was one blueprint um this was fa- they are different revenue streams for the criminals then if they have the botnets like um ddos for rent social media followers distributing uh malware to perform a ransomware attack afterwards, spamming. I would assume that spamming is as well a super big market for them. Um, so this is the revenue stream. Then you said, well, someone is controlling the botnet. So how do I control this million of devices? What kind of infrastructure do I need to do that? Yeah, that, it's really complicated, actually. And we saw it with the Conti leaks, actually, because they had the exact same problem lately. And we were discussing it off before the show. But basically what it shows is you have to have an infrastructure with a lot of servers, with a complicated uh, structure to instruct your uh, machines in doing whatever you have to them to do. And very early, the first attempts to do a real large uh, DDoS system failed because they could find uh, the command and control system, the domain names, which was uh, like sending uh, comments or stuff like that, you know. So the cyber criminals got smarter and ciphered everything and had IPs rolling and fallback methods so that if the first domain is fried, then it's another one and another one. And those domains would be uh, procedurally generated. So meaning it's not the pre-booked domain that you can find. It's actually generated on the fly. If the first one is off, it's trying a second one and build it uh, through a program. So they try to evade uh, every uh, situation where they could be stuck and isolated from the command and control server. And obviously, the feds and all the agencies on the other end, their goal is to take down the command and control system, eventually even sending uh, curation commands to the machines that are compromised, because sometimes it even happened in the past. So it's a constant uh, mouse and uh, cat game, cat and mouse game, uh, hide and seek, uh, to hide your command and control system, uh, hide the payload, uh, cipher the inputs, and the smartest I ever saw in the industry, actually, we did this in the past a long time ago when I was a pen tester, but I saw that other groups later on adopted the same system. What they do now is they are using a, a DNS uh, cover channel. So the way it works uh, is that they encode what has to go out of the premises, out of the place that has been compromised, through a DNS query, like a host name, 
before okay. a very short domain name. This is the information that goes out of your network. And in return, this fake domain is returning IP addresses, a lot of them, right? So you have some way to export data, you have some way to import data, you just have to call above it a TCP IP stack, you know? And then you have an impossible to detect covered channel that is based solely on DNS, which is close to impossible to block and to tamper with. Wow. I have to say, you, 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 I always have something to say, but twice already, you, you've just, I have, no, I, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> no, because I mean, it's for you because it's slow. It's terribly slow. The, the best uh, performance we could achieve is 50 kilobytes per second. But for a command and control channel, it's more than enough. I think from a, cyber criminal perspective and even like from a counter perspective of course the command and control servers are the key to tear down or to operate the botnet successfully so that's the reason why the cyber criminal side tries to do everything to protect their botnets and protecting starts i think with hiding so that you can't easily scan or detect in the in the network traffic that there are commands suspicious commands going on to a certain to a machine and and even like if there are if there is a suspicious machine it change its ip address um so and you know the best part with the domain names because there are a lot of uh people selling snake oil on the market right saying oh, yeah. you like you have an EPP or whatever, you know, endpoint protection on your machine or antivirus, whatever. And this thing will prevent uh, domain names that are aggressive or dangerous, uh, prevent your machine from connecting to them. Well, this is basically bullshit because uh, every proper malware has its own resolution system at its own resolver. It's like super easy to code something that reverts an IP and a domain name. You don't have to rely on what's declared on the machine as being your supplier for a DNS uh, system. So basically, if you are able to do your own resolution, you are absolutely free to connect whatever you want. Nobody in the stack of your OS will ever block you from doing so. Yeah, I have seen another super creepy way um, how to communicate with the command and control system. And it was over Twitter. Yeah. So there are Twitter accounts, which are obviously, let's say, fake accounts, or the only purpose of these accounts is to send out commands, which will be then scanned by the command and control service. And as this is a Twitter social profile, it will be not blocked or... Right usually recognized by any malware intrusion detection scanning system, whatever. So because it's a public social network. Yeah. That, we've seen also yeah. some stuff sent in drafts in Gmail. You know, yeah. if you, if you write something, but you never send it, actually it stays in, in the draft box mm -hmm. and it's not actually transferred over the wire. So basically if two person have access to the same draft box, Nothing was ever sent and scanned, and you still have a command and control channel or a dead Dropbox, a dead mail Dropbox, something like this, yep. um, where you can communicate secretly. Yeah. <clears throat> I, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of covert covert ways that, that you know, they, they communicate. I guess in a way, you know, hackers have to also have their, their kind of special comms too. I think IRC is still popular. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. What? But I, I would think that there's 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 many other other methods that 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 they could use for for communications. What keeping it covert as much as we can is DNS. I'm not a cyber criminal. I mean, when I say we, I said the when you work in the offensive industry, when yeah. we testing, we always privilege AT four four three and 53 UDP. Why that? Because it's mostly the protocols that have never filtered. Yeah, they'll they'll always be on. I mean, everyone has 53. They have to. It's DNS. If you bring down DNS, whoa. Yeah, and even if you have like a proxy server, like filtering AT and 443, it doesn't mean you cannot connect. It just means you have to be smarter and encode the the, the content uh, you send through. But it still goes out. I mean, 5380 and 443, you're pretty sure it goes out, as well as 25 and 465, which is mail and stuff. 8080. 8081, 8181, and stuff like that, yeah. So let's assume we are in a world where botnets are just reality. So... We are in a yeah, world. Let's, let's we are assume, reality. Let's <laughs> Don't pretend. They are just re- I mean, they're just there. So they're just there. They're just waiting. <laughs> so we can't get rid of them, maybe. It's because like there will be always weak spots in devices. So now the question is, what can we do? And how many are dormant? My real question here is how many are dormant? I would love to know that. Yeah, me too. Do do, do you th- do 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 the hackers? Are, we were kind of talking about this before we started, but do do the threat actors do do they have like a they they have like an organized structure? Yeah. And yeah, they and they work like a company, and they have assets, and they have production lines, and they have supply chains, and they have HR problem as we saw with Conti, you know. And all of this is the reality. So they are not always constantly one step ahead of us. The question is, there are very, very scary groups like Equation. You know, uh, Equation has been named like this because those guys are doing like a lot of work, or gals, by the way, a lot of work with mathematics and, and complicated algorithm. Those people have done stuff that are beyond thinkable, like air gap, you know, between yeah. two machines that are physically separated on separated networks or even Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, every wave cut down and they would use your microphone and your speakers in between two machines to transfer data through the sound waves using uh, infrasound. So, you know, those groups are above and beyond uh, uh, able to pull like the, the master tricks. And those guys, obviously, they have resources. They have dormant networks. I'm sure of it. Yeah, but that's, I think we have to have a look what is the level of attackers. So we're, let's say we have, let's say, the usual criminal, which is sometimes as well state uh, motivated or in relation to nation states and maybe supported as well by nation states. But their main purpose is still criminal. And we have intelligence. So for the criminal criminals scene, I would say, well, of course, they want to use the botnet because it's a revenue it's there is a revenue model based on it. So these are the botnets which are, let's say, easily built because cyber criminals are lazy people. Usually, uh, they want to take the low hanging fruit. They're always looking for the low low hanging fruit. Um, and of course, if they have the ability to build up a botnet, they are going to turn it into revenue streams. And then, and which is more scary, as you said, Philip, 
are the intelligence or the military uh, motivated actors which don't want even to show that they have the botnet because it's right. part of a defense or, or offense strategy they have in mind in terms of escalation in the cyberspace. Yeah, I mean, you don't show your cards, right? I mean, and, and we saw that back in the days where NSA was, uh, uh, all the secrets were spilled by... by uh, Shadow leaks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, And you know, the next thing you know, they were trying to regenerate their toolbox. We saw this because indirectly we were contacted to acquire this exact you know DNS cover channel we talked about. Obviously, we didn't sell it. But they, they are constantly grabbing some new techniques, some new assets, some new systems, and they can leverage them whenever they need it, you know. And when you're a state actor, you never know what, what would be asked from you the next day. So maybe in this, in this current war we have between Russia and Ukraine, maybe some people in Russia were instructed to get ready and to have all the toolbox ready to attack their target. That wouldn't be surprising to me. And um, that means they are already preparing for a while and they have all these assets ready to fly whenever they need it. Exactly like you would have like missile, rocket launcher and planes ready to fly when you need them. So I, I think it's more or less the same principle. You prepare, you organize, you... you... Yes, I mean, um, I mean, Tyler is there, so we have talked a little bit about Texas and how gunfight works uh, in a Texas style. I mean... You show your cold, isn't it? I mean, you show your cold, but obviously sometimes you not pull first the gun. <laughs> it's like, and, and I think in the cyber warfare and with botnets, with this kind of military or intelligence warfare, it's for sure the same. I mean, everybody's looking deeply on each other, what they are doing and uh, investigating and, For, for sure, sometimes they show a little bit what they have uh, just to show the other party, look, if you are going for us, we will go for you. Um, but for the cyber criminals, it's completely different. Like, as you said, Philip, like yeah. there, there have been now the Conti leaks. <laughs> And for the people out there, if yeah. you have sometimes read the Conti leaks because it gives you a perfect insight into one of the most famous ransomware groups uh, in the past and how they are organized and by what they are struggling. And sometimes it's so simply uh, ordinary, like hiring the right people. What is the skill level of the people? People complaining to their boss that they have to work on night shifts. Um As this, well. this is this is mine that, that is just kind of mind-blowing to me i mean i i guess it's an organization so it would work like a regular organization but i mean they have a cyber skills shortage just like we do and they have yes. people who you know don't want to work overnight or i mean yeah, they or, have hr issues it's it sounds like which yeah and, uh, and people who are complaining that the management is or earning all the money why they are not getting <laughs> enough bitcoins and what is funny like that they did as well mistakes on paying their infrastructure service uh, by transferring the bitcoins and to me it seems that they have as well problems on maintaining their command and control structure <clears throat> That is awesome. I, I saw the leaks as you did, and and 
some of them are just emblematic from any company, actually. You know, hiring, retaining the talents, training, paying the people on time, uh, paying your, your, your subcontractors and stuff, uh, having the people uh, shut, shut up about the, the company secrets and stuff like that. Uh, sometimes they lost control of, of uh, targets they, they compromised, so meaning they were ripe for, for the taking, okay? But actually they lost control because they didn't pay the proper uh, amount to the subcontractor. Can you believe that? Because no, I can't. Because, <laughs> because I ship Bitcoin to this wallet, otherwise I cannot pay our providers for VPN. Really? <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, what what's next? Are they going to fall victim to a BC compromise? <laughs> I mean, I think what I, they need is a consultancy company to optimize their processes. <laughs> <laughs> the management culture. We need nature, first of all, okay? Probably women coming from another country, you have a golden career ahead of yourself if you go for <laughs> ransomware industry. Yeah, no, no, we don't want to push people to that. Coming back to the point, okay, now, ransomware is re reality. Uh, botnets are, are an important part of the ransomware industry structure and tools because if you want to send out all this phishing stuff, this phishing mails, and you, if you want to spread your malware to, and I mean, you need, you need botnets. That's a helpful tool. So Philip, how do we get rid of the botnets? Well, the question is, there is one thing that is constant over the industry for the last 40 years and will be constant for the next 30 years. And we touched base a bit on this earlier on. It's IP addresses. You know, it's been designed in the 70s, but we have an IPv4 space, which is basically uh, more or less uh, 3 billion addresses that are already all taken, right? They are already given to all the industry actors around the globe. And IPv6 now is rolling out. And people are getting IPv6 addresses for their phone, for their home box and stuff like that. But honestly, if you are a decent cyber criminal, you would want to have IPv4 addresses because they are compatible with a larger surface uh, that you target. So their, their weakest link to me is IP addresses. When you burn them, you cripple their operation, you cripple their ops, the scale of their ops, and you cripple their anonymity because obviously they cannot use their own IP addresses. So when we, what we saw with the Contilics is that they were on short supplies of IP addresses. And sometimes they struggled to have the proper VPN exit point, the proper new IP addresses that would not be fried by the feds and all. So let's go on. Let's all partake into the global network of burning those IP addresses as soon as we can and as soon as we see it. And I tell you, this is crippling the operation. It's not me telling you, actually. It's the continent telling you. So yeah. this is the idea that because there's a, a shortage already out there for the IP4 addresses, it's a natural shortage. <clears throat> so, and if they want to use, they, they have a con continuously demand on IP4 addresses. Yes. Absolutely. So, okay. And it costs money. Costs money to acquire them, costs money to borrow them, rent them, maintain them. And on top of that, once you have them, it's, the deal is not done yet. You still have to put in place your command and control system and deploy your tools, stay under the radar so that the legitimate admins don't see you. So, yeah, you slow down uh, their, their operations like hell. That's really interesting. So 
how long does it work? Because you said now they're they're using IP4 addresses because, I mean, the most devices currently out in the market are using IP4. Yeah. But obviously the industry would like to change to IP6. But but will it? I mean, we've been trying to change to IPv6 for a really long time. Yeah, so what we see in the figures lately is that uh, over the internet, the, the leader country, unsurprisingly, is U.S., with something like 27% plus uh, IPv6 addresses already uh, rolled out and in use on a daily basis. Cool. Uh, the problem being is that it does it's not a silver bullet for the cyber criminals either for, for several reasons. First one, we didn't make the same mistake as we did with the IPv4 address space. It was a bit of a rope thing. You know, people had like large chunks, they sold to each other. You never knew who was controlling what. It was a real mess because nobody would predict the incredible growth of the internet. Now, IPv6, we know it's going to grow, right? So it's been designed so that we can have like 20,000 uh, IP addresses per square meter on Earth, right? Every square meter on Earth can have up to 20,000 uh, uh, IP addresses. And why that, we would ask me, because of IoT devices. Not yeah. because there will be so many humans. It's because any human will control probably tens and hundreds of devices in the future. So we thought to ourselves, okay, we, we should have a large address space. Now, the thing is, when we give you addresses, we don't give you one or two or ten. We give you a super big chunk of it, right? So on the other end, we can also ban or block a super big chunk of it. It works both ways, right? It's bilateral. And the other thing is, like a very small portion of IPv6 addresses have been already rolled out and used uh, uh, in the wild. So meaning, yes, there are plenty of them, but not all of them are already given to people. And also you can block them by the, the block, by the truckload. So obviously for the nanobot industry, you have uh, 20,000 nanobots per uh, cubic <laughs> meter available yeah. space um yeah okay it sounds reasonable to me one question like if i'm an operator of let's say a smart iot fleet how can i recognize that my fleet is getting affected or is part of a botnet what are the signs i should have a look on yeah actually it's it I wouldn't say it's easy, but there are ways to do this. So first of all, if you have an IoT device, it's supposed to do one thing and mostly one thing only, right? And so if it does camera, something else. Yeah, it, it has a predictable behavior. And if it changes its behavior from the, what you predicted to mm -hmm. something else, uh, as compared to a sample you have, for example, in your lab, you could say, whoa, why is this uh, whatever uh, ring, bell, camera, uh, weight scale, whatever, watch, consuming all of a sudden 10 times more bandwidth than it used to do. It's not normal. Or energy. Or, or energy, energy. Right. For, for IoT devices. Right, or if it's moving really slowly. Oh, it's too slow, absolutely. Or the CPU is constantly used where it's supposed to be like 20% load on average. And this is by monitoring yourself uh, as opposed to a sample, a golden sample you have in your labs that you would say, okay, there is something fishy here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have forgot crypto mining as well as a very uh, major application for botnets. So Absolutely. you see more energy consumption of your devices in the fleet. Absolutely, that, that's a part of a crypto. Yeah. Okay. Um, so having a look at the payload, 
like what kind of payload is going on, energy consumption, um, as well, I think like the reboot yeah. patterns, how do they reboot? Because, I mean, if you want to take over an IoT device, you need to patch it. So usually it means like apply the patch, devices are rebooting. Um, I have learned as well that the ransomware, I uh, know the botnet operators are trying to protect, of course, their captured devices as well, because there are other botnet operators yeah. out there. Their own machines from someone else trying to own exactly. Them. So, so usually the way is find a machine, identify the machine, find out that it's vulnerable, um, get access, root access, patch it with your own, let's say, updated it with your own malicious code, and patch it to close the vulnerability on the device. Absolutely. Actually, those people are fixing bugs somehow, but for their own good. Yes. God, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be awesome if like so so there you'd have like a fleet of IoT devices and um actually never mind I'm not even going to say what I was going to say I'm not going to give anyone ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, I was thinking you know there could be a way that you could actually distribute kind of like back in the days of Nutella. Um, you know, the old fashioned peer to peer where you could actually turn these devices into something where they're sharing the load and you could actually perhaps move the payload from one to another in, in bits and pieces and have it distributed throughout the, the network. So it would be harder to, you know, <clears throat> reconfigure was, unless they know how to hit do on that. It when, he, when he told about the zero day in a smartphone and then you're just working on on the airport and your phone is constantly i mean for example phones are constantly trying to identify hotspots and from network protocol level it means they are sending packages to hotspots so there's a communication between my and your phone if if, if the hotspot is open so but, but you, you can, you set can up actually turn but, but but you can turn those permission you, you can change that permission so that you will never join a hotspot or you, you will be asked before you join. But how but many people are doing that? And, and think about the air tags. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Just using your phone without asking you at all. Actually, what an air tag does for the people listening to you. To oh, God. They, uh, yes. They are telling, oh, I'm an air tag. So I'm a friend of yours in the uh, Apple family. So please send your location with your bandwidth to the network to tell I'm here. This is exactly what an attack does, people. So meaning this attack is basically using your uh, subscription or you know, network access uh, to report where it is uh, to the central service so that you can find back your goods and stuff and all. On paper, it's not so bad, but Apple is using its network effect, its network strength globally to bring and roll out a new service. Now, I don't know for you, Tyler, but uh, as a woman, I would be particularly concerned that any stupid in the street could tag me and follow me at night or whatever, you know? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, no, air, air tags, you know, it's, it's scary. And where is the button to turn it off? Where is the button that I don't want to share my phone location because an air tag is close by? I didn't find it in iOS, honestly. I mean, I guess you could turn it off. <laughs> 
Yeah, you'd be surprised. But even then, <laughs> but even then, we know stuff's still going on. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the problem is that this is going on. This is going on a level for the air tags on on Bluetooth, low energy. I mean, this is a super uh, low protocol level, um, and even as it's super low implemented on the operating system side, you can't. As a user, you you have no control on it. You, you, you need to trust, however, but... I, I see so many ways it could turn wrong and, and you could have fun with it, like fun or like, like nothing bad, but there are so many ways it can turn wrong. It reminds me a bit like those people that were pissed off in France that uh, Waze would take their road in their small villages as, uh, you know, an offload uh, for a main uh, uh, super big road, uh, highway close by. So when the stuff was in the shtar, was blocked, you know, and people could not go through, Waze would tell you, go through this little village, and it, it's eventually faster than waiting into the queue. And what people did to avoid that, they, they started the Waze application on their phone and just let it uh, uh, in their house like this. So the Waze would think, oh, we are stuck. There are like tens of thousands of phones not moving, so there's a, the traffic jam here as well. Let's not go there. Now think about air tags. You can mimic an air tag, you know, and, yep. and make an iPhone uh, transmit the location of the mimic device. Now take tens of thousands of mimic device, and you yep. could actually pinpoint the location of a person constantly, or you yep. could send. You know, it's funny, or not? Yeah, we have seen that. I think it's a fascinating idea, uh, Philip. Let's say that maybe Apple is using AirTag and your smartphones as well, like a botnet operator. Yeah. Kind of. Absolutely. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy. I know. I, uh, I, I've learned, I've learned a lot. Yeah, me too. From this. This is, this is, wow. It was fascinating. Uh, it was a fascinating conversation. I hope the people out there um, had as well some good lessons learned on it, uh, having a look into botnets and at the beginning. And we will share in the show notes information about Philip, what he's doing, as well as some resources that you can have a, a deep dive more into the topic. And by that, I can only say thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for listening to us. And if you like our show, give us a rate and give us a comment. Thank you. Bye. Follow us at hackwork.io 